We're going to be looking at a message today for our mothers, and the title of this message is A Mother Who Changed the World. We're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1, that's in your Old Testament, right after the book of Ruth, so you can go ahead and find your place. Now you may have heard the saying, behind every great man there's a great woman, and I will not dispute that, in fact I'm a living testimony of that. But sometimes that great woman is not behind the man, but before him. And often that great woman is not his wife, but his mother. Now in one of his books, John Phillips points to one mother who shaped the direction of an entire nation. Here's what he wrote. Quote, Historians agree that conditions were never darker in England than they were prior to the coming of the Wesleyan Revival. He said drunkenness was widespread. The theater was decadent. The royal court and castles of the nobility reeked with licentiousness. The people scorned religion and devoured the atheistic writings of Hume and Voltaire. He said England in the 18th century sorely needed revival. So what did God do? God raised up a mother. Her name was Susanna Wesley. She was the mother of, listen to this, 19 children, two of whom were John and Charles, who were instrumental in leading England back to God. So this simple woman with no power, pedigree, or privilege was their first teacher. The fiery preaching of John Wesley and the beloved hymns of Charles Wesley can be traced back to the solid biblical foundation led by their godly mother. Now truly, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. And one of the great blessings of eternity, I believe, is how Christ is going to reveal the many ways that mothers have shaped history and raised up generations of men and women to carry forth the gospel light. Now, just as Susanna Wesley's home was the training ground for two world changers, we could say the same for a little mistress, a little woman we know in 1 Samuel as Hannah. Now, we meet Hannah at the opening of 1 Samuel at a time when Israel was in a backslidden condition, when times were dark, and when they desperately needed a man of God to lead the people in the right direction. And Hannah became that woman whom God used to shape that man, who we will meet as Samuel. He was Israel's last judge. He was a priest and a prophet who would go on to anoint King David. Now in many ways, Hannah's life is an unlikely link that connects two important periods of Israel's history. She's like the connecting tendon between two important epochs in the time of the judges and then the monarchy. In fact, listen to what Bible scholar John MacArthur says. He adds this insight, quote, Hannah is a reminder that mothers are the makers of men and the architects of the next generation. Her earnest prayer for a child was the beginning of a series of events that helped turn back the spiritual darkness and backsliding of Israel. She set in motion a chain of events that would ultimately usher in a spiritual awakening at the dawn of the Davidic 
dynasty. This little mother God used so powerfully. And so on this Mother's Day, we're going to study the incredible example of Hannah. And I want to teach you, hopefully, a few timeless spiritual truths that no matter who you are, these can be applied to your spiritual life. Now as we open up our text today, 1 Samuel chapter 1, I want you to see this lesson. Number one, Hannah and her hardship, a godly woman shaped by pain. We see Hannah and her hardship, a godly woman shaped by pain. Let's read verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zoephim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other Penaniah. And Penaniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. And on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penaniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 6, And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Verse 8, And Elkna, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And so we notice here that Hannah's story begins with three B's. Uh, there's barrenness, there's bitterness, and there's brokenness. Her situation, you might say, is stressful at least and dysfunctional at worst. We meet first her husband, Elkna, who appears to be a godly man and a loving husband, but he has made the mistake of marrying two wives. Now you need to know that polygamy was never God's design. It was a cultural thing in this time, but it was not God's design. And that is why every example of polygamy that you see in the Bible is filled with strife. Presumably, he took on Penina because Hannah was not able to conceive. And so it was very important in this culture for them to have an heir. Now, if you, like I said, go back and notice the tents of Abraham or Jacob or now, Elkna, you can see that in those tents where there's more than one wife, uh, there's more drama than Dr. Phil and the Bachelor combined. And that's the kind of environment that Hannah lived in. Now, her early life was shaped by disappointment and by pain and adversity from two main sources. And we already read about these, but I just want to point them out. One source of pain in Hannah's life was a barren womb. A barren womb. Now, in this culture, to be infertile was a mark of shame and it was viewed as a curse. In fact, the more children that a mother had, it raised her status. 
So children in these days were essential to working the farms and filling the ranks of the military, contributing to the economy, and of course, providing for the long-term security for the aging parents. So in this culture, you need to understand that everything about Hannah's identity was tied up, her self-worth, or her future was wrapped up in her barrenness. This was, in her estimation, what defined her as a woman. Now, it's interesting that there's a wrinkle in this story. We read about it in verse 5 and in verse 6. It's repeated twice so we don't miss it. And it's this little phrase, The Lord closed her womb. I hope you saw that. Now, for some unexplained reason, God sovereignly caused the infertility of this dear woman. And you'll notice that Hannah was not the first to suffer this way. This was not unique in biblical history because you could go back to the book of Genesis and see that this was true about Sarah and Rachel, for example. But notice that Hannah has an unfulfilled desire and the only one who can open her womb is God Himself. But year after year, the Bible says that this pain got deeper and this longing was only prolonged year after year. The answer from heaven was silence on the matter of being a mother. So, the first source of her pain was a barren womb, but then there was another source of pain, and I call it a belittling woman. A belittling woman. And we read about it in verse 6 and 7. It says there that her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. And then... You can read another summary of that in verse 7. But you notice here, Penina, she's the rival wife. And she loved pouring salt in Hannah's open womb. And I don't know why, but it gave her some kind of sadistic pleasure. I believe it probably made her feel superior to Hannah by constantly driving this knife in, by making fun of her and provoking her and insulting her that she was not a real woman, at least in the eyes of that culture. And so you can think about this grinding away at Hannah year after year. The constant insults. I believe Hannah was at a low, a lower than dirt. She was made to feel a useless failure. The Bible says that she was miserable. You know what? If you put yourself in the thought process of Hannah, what do you think that she was going through at this time? Maybe she thought something like this, Lord, I don't understand you. Why, Lord, do you bless this nasty woman? And you won't give me a child. Lord, I serve you. I've kept your word. I faithfully go to the tabernacle to worship. In today's vernacular, it might sound like this. Lord, I go to church. I read my Bible. Lord, I pray. I volunteer at the church. I give my time and I volunteer in the nursery. And Lord, I'd love to hold one of those babies myself one day. God, why them and not me? And so, you can understand that Hannah's plight is easy to relate to because all the wells that she had drunk from which promised fulfillment, none of them brought the lasting satisfaction that she longed for in her life. Her marriage was not fulfilling. Her husband appears to be an affectionate man, although you could read his statement as a little bit insensitive. And guys, don't you know that we're good for doing that? Look at what he said there to his wife. He said, Oh, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you 
than ten sons? Perhaps a boneheaded thing for a man to say to his wife who's obviously in pain, but at the same time you could view it and say, he's calling his wife out at the same time because he asked her, hey, what's wrong with you? Why can't you eat? Why aren't you joining us in worship? So there's that and then there's Penina who constantly reminds her that, Hannah, you'll never be good enough. Hannah, you'll never be me. He may love you more, but look at what I've got that you don't. And don't we live in a world and a culture like that? Where it is so easy to get on social media and look at other people's lives and scroll through the news feed and the photos and look and say, uh, God, look at her. She's uh, in better shape and uh, he's more handsome than me and he's got the job that I want and Lord, why can't I live in a house like that? And God, why can't I go on a vacation like that? And we begin to compare ourselves to everybody else and we get our identity from a culture rather than the Creator and it leads to all kinds of inferiority problems in our lives. Maybe the best thing that some of us need to do is get off Facebook for a while and get off Instagram for a while and get off the Facebook and get our nose in the book and be reminded who we are in Jesus Christ. So you can understand Hannah, this godly woman, as she is shaped by pain. So we see Hannah and her hardship. But then our story continues. We see Hannah and her heavenly father A godly woman surrendered in prayer. A godly woman surrendered in prayer. Now, Hannah can't find significance and fulfillment that she longs for. She can't find it in marriage. She can't find it in motherhood. But I want you to know that as you read this story, it's very evident that God was at work in her despair. Uh, It was her barrenness It was her bitterness and her brokenness that was going to lead her to God and that would be the source of all the blessing in her life. You see, you need to understand that God wastes nothing in our lives. Uh, That disease, uh, that inferiority complex, uh, that depression, that pain, if you will allow God to use it, He'll uh, use it to draw you to Himself. And that's exactly why God had closed the womb of this dear lady. Because He was shaping her. Uh, He was uh, chiseling away at her. Uh, He was molding her into a better woman. And it would be that pain, that plight, that was going to lead her into a deeper place with God. A point of dependency and a point of surrender. That's what God was after in the life of Hannah. And so you notice... She surrendered in prayer. And as she prays this prayer in verse 9 through verse 19, what I want you to see, first off, is a sacrificial pledge. She makes a sacrificial pledge. Verse 9, listen to this. And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose, and now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorposts of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the afflictions of your servant and remember me and never forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now, When Hannah offers to dedicate her son to God, 
she uses a phrase there saying, no razor shall touch his head. And what she's referring to there is an Old Testament custom known as the Nazarite vow. You can read about it more in Numbers chapter 6. But the Nazarite vow was an Old Testament way for somebody to take a total dependency and total devotion to God. And you'll remember in the book of Judges that Samson was dedicated as a young man this very way. And here's what a Nazarite vow meant. Number one, a person would never cut their hair, a sign of their commitment to God. They would never partake of wine. And then number three, they would never be ceremonially defiled by touching a dead body. So Hannah says, Lord, if it seems good to you, Lord, if it's your will to bless me with a son, I want you to know this son will be yours. Now, don't read this the wrong way. Hannah wasn't making a bargain with God. This wasn't a quid pro quo. In fact, she is making a radical statement of faith right at this moment of her brokenness. You see, all of her life, Hannah was desperately wanting meaning and significance that would come from motherhood. And now she's saying, Lord, I'm letting go of that. God, I'm letting You have Your way in my life. I'm renouncing my hold on what I think gives me meaning and purpose and identity in life. You see, this is a surrender. This is a white flag moment in her life. So she's finally reached the point in her life where she says, God, I'm willing to give to You what would be most precious if I could have it myself. That's surrender. So we may rephrase Hannah's prayer to something like this. The Bible says she cried out bitterly. There was tears and there was sweat and there was slobber. And it was ugly there as she prayed to God because she got real with Him. Maybe she said something like this, Oh Lord, all my life I've asked You to give me a son to make up for some kind of deficiency in my life. Lord, it's always been about me. But now I'm asking one for You, God. You're my sufficiency. You're my treasure. You're all all I need. So Lord, I'm letting go. And now of what I want most, because I'm giving it into Your hands. Lord, it's no longer my will. It's Thy will. That's where Hannah was in this moment. And isn't that the very heart of faith? I trust in God with what we value most because we recognize that in Him is infinite worth. You know, through the Bible, God challenged saints of old time and time again to give to Him so that He could give back in greater measure. Why, you remember Abraham had to lay Isaac on the altar and as they walked away from that day, uh, he looked upon that mountain always and said, uh, this is the place where God provides Mount Moriah. I do recall Elijah turning to a little uh, mother and he said, uh, make a cake for me with the rest of your food. And the Bible says that her little supply in that jar did not run out. I do recall Jesus going by the boat of Peter, uh, saying, Peter, uh, drop your nets, uh, leave your boat. I know it don't make sense financially, but it's time for you to let go and follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. You see, anybody who surrenders to God, anybody that lays it in His hands, anybody that says, I'm done fighting, 
and being all about me, they find out that this God is generous, that this God is powerful, that this God will meet them at their point of surrender and He'll meet their need in a surprising way. You see, friend, God can't give us a desire of our heart as long as we have a clenched fist holding on to our life. We have to open up and say, God, it's yours. When you open up that hand, oh, He can take things out, but He can also put things in. I like what Martin Luther said. He said, I have held many things in my hands, and I've lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. So Hannah's dream and Hannah's desire was safe in the hand of God. What better place to put it? Johnny Erickson taught a... Uh, if you've ever studied her life, wow, what a story. She suffered a diving accident as a teenager. And she was rendered as a paraplegic. She's been in that wheelchair for uh, 50-some years now. And her disability took from her many pleasures of life, including that to be a mother. But it was through her paralysis that God opened up all kinds of doors for ministry that she never would have imagined. One of the great ministries that she has is providing wheelchairs for impoverished people all across the world and a platform to declare the gospel. I was reading in Johnny Erickson's book earlier this week, and I want you to see about what she says when we surrender to God. She said, when God denies your greatest desire... Get ready to open up your heart even wider, for He will become that desire Himself. When we spurn God's offer of more of Himself in exchange for our cherished desires, it's like a little kid asking their dad for a nickel when he wants to give them gold from Fort Knox. He, she says, if God says no to one of our requests, it's only so that He may say yes to something infinitely more valuable by denying me the hope of physical healing, she says, He has given me unspeakable privileges. Looking back, I am reminded that He has appointed me to be His ambassador of hope all over the world to so many who have no hope at all. She says this, listen, God has given me children, all right. I close my eyes and I can see their faces in Africa and Asia and Romania and the Middle East. You see, God longs to meet that desire and meet that, meet that need in His way. And the question you have to ask yourself as you study the life of Hannah today is what have you been unwilling to give to God up to this moment? Is it your career? Is it your marriage? Is it your sickness? Is it your singleness? Is it your sin? Whatever you're holding on to, friend, it won't change. It won't get blessed. It won't be transformed until you let go. And give it to God. So we see, not only in this prayer does she make a sacrificial pledge, but I also want you to see here today a supernatural peace. A supernatural peace, and this is where it gets rich. Notice verse 12. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? 
Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit, and I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grants you your petition that you have made to Him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate. Watch this. And her face, oh praise God, her face was no longer sad. Verse 19, And they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And there they went back to their house at Ramah. Oh my goodness. So we see here a supernatural peace coming over Hannah. Hannah's prayer was so passionate that as she poured out her heart to God, that as Eli witnessed that moment, he thought she'd been hitting the Jack Daniels, uh, that she had been drinking. And doesn't that say something indicting about Eli? Because he couldn't recognize zealous and fervent prayer if it jumped up and hit him on the nose. Uh, Because maybe he had never had an occasion to pour out his heart to God like Hannah had at that moment. By the way, this is the same thing that the Jews say to the disciples on the day of Pentecost when they're filled with the Holy Ghost and start speaking in various tongues. They say, look at those guys. They're drunk with wine. There's one little point I want to make about that. When you decide to live by faith, when you decide to really start praying, when you decide to really surrender and walk with God, here's something you can expect. Folk who don't have the same spiritual maturity are going to look at you and say things and not understand the commitment that you've made in your life. Now, Hannah's prayer. The Bible says that she was praying silently, although she was moving her mouth. If Hannah's prayer were audible... I believe that we probably would have been stunned at the thoughts going through her head and the thoughts coming out of her heart. Because as I see, the Bible says that she was weeping bitterly. I think Hannah in this moment unloaded truckloads years of pain and hurt on God and she just let God have it all like a shotgun blast. All those pent-up emotions, all that anger, all of those insults from Penina, all those years of being looked over, all those nights as she cried herself to sleep, the barrenness, the bitterness, the brokenness, the pain, it all came out at one time. You see, friend, Hannah had to get that poison out of her soul. Uh, You see, we can't receive God's blessing. We can't really be surrendered to God. We can't experience God's peace in our life till we open up and pour out some of the junk and some of the poison and some of the stuff that's been built up in us for years and years and years. we got to start getting it out and letting it go. And I think verse 18 and 19 says it all. Look at what this says. The woman went her way and ate... And then it says, and her face was no longer sad. Oh, friend, if you could be there, if I could be there. When Hannah came to the altar that day, bless God, uh, this poor old gal, she was a hot 
mess. But when she got up, something was different about that old girl. Her circumstances hadn't changed. She wasn't suddenly holding a baby in her arms. Nothing outwardly in her life was different except that spirit had now been overcome with peace. A peace that passes all understanding that happens when you surrender it all to God. I think she gave all of those toxic emotions boiling up inside of her as she handed over those things to God. And she probably felt wave after wave of His peace and His love and His assurance in her life. Hannah, I've always loved you. Uh, Hannah, I haven't forgotten about you. Now you get up from here and you go live your life because I've got something in store for you, Hannah that you cannot imagine. So Hannah, she went from sad to glad. She went from pain to peace. She went from tears to trust. She went from woe to worship. As the Bible says, that she got up from there. Nothing had changed in her life. And she said, I'm going to eat me a good steak dinner. And then I'm going to the tabernacle to pray and worship God. She must have been a good Baptist, by the way. You know how Baptists love to eat. Joking, of course. But notice this. What did Hannah say to God? Maybe in that moment she said something like this. Lord, I'm done basing my self-worth on what the world says about me. Lord, I'm finished with trying to control things in my life that I can't control anymore. Lord, I'm not the God of me. Lord, I'm no longer holding on to this acid and this bitter shame that's eating me alive. God, You've got to take this from me. God, I've made the decision. I've made the choice to rejoice in You no matter what come my way. God, I set me free. God, I'm getting up here transformed. I'm getting up from here different. Lord, I'm getting up from here going forward in Your sovereignty. And you see, friend... That's the secret of surrender. The secret of surrender is the act of winning by losing. You lose yourself. You lose your desires. You lose your dreams. You lose your hopes and all things that you wrapped up in yourself. But you win in the long run because look at what you get. God gives you Himself. You see, the thing that you're holding on to is the thing that's holding you back. And Hannah finally realized that in her life. Surrender is when we come to an end of ourselves and we realize at that end, that's where God's work really now begins. And so in surrender, a defeat becomes our deliverance. A brokenness leads to blessing. Pain is for our gain. And we finally give up so that we can now grow up in maturity with the Lord. And when you surrender and you put everything into God's hands, uh, you begin to see God's hand in everything in your life like you hadn't before. David Jeremiah tells a story in one of his books about a, a pilot during the early days of aviation. This pilot was flying across the Atlantic Ocean. A few hours into the flight, he realized... Oh my, there's a rat on board. There's a rat inside the plane. And for all he knew, he could hear that rat scurrying around as he was flying. And he thought to himself, what if that rat chews through a vital wire or a fuel line? He said, I've got, I've got to do something. 
but I got to fly this plane at the same time. How am I going to take care of this rat? He didn't know what to do for a while. He panicked because there was just ocean as far as he could see. He was still a couple of hours from his destination. Then he got a bright idea. He remembered a rat isn't made to live in the heights. And so the pilot commenced to climb altitude. And that pilot took that airplane as high as he could take it up into the rarefied thin air. And as he went higher and higher in that plane, he noticed that the gnawing began to cease. And later when he landed, the pilot searched through the plane and he found a dead rat. Because it couldn't breathe up there. David Jeremiah made this application. He said, there are many thoughts, burdens, worries, and emotions that cannot live in the secret place of the Most High God. Those things which gnaw away at our life cannot breathe in the atmosphere of prayer. And those rats die when we ascend to the Lord through His prayer and through His Word. And I'm telling you that in the kingdom of God, the way that you move up is you go down. And Hannah got down. And as she went down, her spirit went up. As she prayed, as she rejoiced, as she surrendered and gave it up to God, all those little rats which was gnawing away at her life year after year, they suddenly died in the place of the Most High God. And she got up from that place with victory in her life. And so I want you to see Hannah and her hardship, this godly woman shaped by pain. Then I want you to see number two, Hannah and her heavenly father, a godly woman surrendered in prayer. Then I want you to see this, number three, Hannah and her home. A godly woman steadfast in her promise. A godly woman steadfast in her promise. I'm almost finished. Just hang with me. Now the day finally came. Oh my. When the cries of Hannah's prayer led to the cries of a newborn baby. Look at what verse 19 says. And Elkna knew his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. Praise the Lord. And she bore a son and caused his name, called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Now what's interesting about that as I read it is Hannah's request didn't come right away, did it? But the Bible says in verse 20, and in due time. We don't know how much time elapsed between that day that she prayed at the tabernacle and the day when she got that pregnancy test back and brought it to Elkman and said, Read it and weep, brother. Look at this. It's positive. We don't know how much time went by, but Hannah had to wait. God may have some of you in a holding pattern. You've prayed. You've sought the Lord. You've served the Lord. And still, no blessing inside. Hey, wait a little bit longer. Believe a little bit longer. Trust a little bit longer. God wasn't punishing Hannah in all of this. God is building up faith in her life. And can you imagine the day, the tears that were shed, the cartwheels of joy and the hoots of laughter as they found out that she was with child? How do you think Hannah felt the first time that little baby kicked in her womb? Oh, praise God. Notice this. 
a waiting season isn't a wasted season. God loves us too much to answer our prayers at any other time than the right time. And God answered this prayer at just the right time in Hannah's life because this wasn't just any old baby. This baby was going to change the world. It was going to shape the future of an entire nation. God's never late. He's never early. He's right on time every time. And in the meantime, He's building faith in your life. Notice what we have here. First off, I want you to see her faithfulness. Her faithfulness as a mother. Verse 21, The man Elkna and all his wife went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. Watch this. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And Elkna, her husband, said to her, Do what seems only best to you, Wait until you've weaned him only. May the Lord establish His word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah, a flower, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. And he said, Oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord... I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I have made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord. And she worshipped the Lord there. Notice this. You just thought the real test of Hannah's life was everything leading up to Samuel. But I want you to see that I think Hannah's greatest test was after the birth of the son. You see, for three years, here this mother had poured her life into this child. This child was everything to her. She knew that she had to give this baby up one day. And don't you know that every single moment with that child was precious and it was treasured? But you, can you imagine Hannah's heart and she brought little toddling Samuel up to Eli. What do you think was going on in the heart of that woman? I believe her guts was probably being ripped out at that moment. Because I know how my wife would feel. And I know how some of you mothers are. What was harder for Hannah? Waiting for Samuel to get there? Or waiting for the day when she knew she'd have to let him go? What do you think they said in that moment? Now... Son, Mama's going to have to go now. You know I love you, son. I'm going to leave you here with this man. His name is Eli. He's a good man. He'll take care of you. No, no, you can't come with me. You've got to stay there, baby. Mama's going to come back for you. Mama loves you. Don't you forget. Mama loves you. I've got to go now, son. And this woman went down the hill to her home empty-handed. Just like it was before when Samuel was born. You see, the real climax of the story is not just that God remembered Hannah, but that Hannah remembered God. And Hannah made good on her promise to the Lord. And the Bible says that she even stopped and she worshipped. Why? Because she had understood the great privilege and the great honor of being a recipient of one of God's heaven-sent miracles. 
And so she was able to trust God and to let go of her child. You you see, friend, here's the thing. We think that when God blesses us, suddenly the situation is over. But friend, after the blessing, that's when the next test comes. You may be praying for a child. That's fine. But are you going to train that child up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord? You may be praying for a better job. But are you going to use that money to increase your standard of living or increase your standard of giving? You may be praying for healing. But if you do get that healing, are you going to use that testimony to share with the hopeless and the lost? You may be praying for a mate. But you know, it's more than just being happily ever after. Are you and your mate going to dedicate yourselves and your home to serving God? You see, the real test came after the blessing. That was her faithfulness. Then I finished with this, her fruitfulness. And you just thought this was a good passage. If you flip over into chapter 2 and verse 21, we read this one verse. Look at this. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. That's five by my Redneck math. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. As I studied this passage, I realized something for the first time. This whole thing wasn't just about Samuel. It was about opening up the womb of this dear mother. You see, Hannah received more than she could have ever dreamed from God, uh, the Lord won't be indebted to anybody. Listen, you can't outgive God uh, when you surrender over to Him and you give Him your life and your family and your marriage and your future and your whole self. Uh, God's not going to be indebted to you, friend. Uh, when you give it over in faith, uh, you can just bet that it's coming back to you in good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over. You see, Samuel... <laughs> He was just first fruits. Uh, there was more to come for little Hannah and her, her life. Uh, by the way, I do remember Elisha uh, going to a little mother. And he said, what do you have? And she said, I've got a little jar of oil. He said, go get the empty jars from your neighbor and start filling them up. I do recall a little boy standing beside Jesus with a sack lunch. And Philip's saying, we can't feed them all. And Jesus says, I take the boy's lunch and watch what I can do in my hands. I do remember a rich man uh, with a tomb. And when Jesus was dead and buried, uh, he said, I'll let him borrow my tomb. Uh, I'll give it to the Lord. You can put him in there. Uh, But praise God, it was just temporary. Uh, He didn't need it for long. Because He was coming out in power and glory. And what I want you to see is you can trust God. You give it over to Him. And friend, He won't be a debtor to anybody. He'll bless you more than you can ever imagine. Your cup will be running over. And you'll get to the point where you'll say, Five sons, of five kids, Lord. I can't take any more, Lord. If you bless me one more time, I don't know what I'm going to do. But it don't stop there. I know it sounds like an infomercial, but it's true. It doesn't stop there. You see, who would Samuel be? Samuel would go to be a mighty man of God. Samuel would go to turn the heart of this nation. He would anoint David. And who was David? The one from whom the Messiah would come. 
And a thousand years later, God was going to do something similar with another girl who was childless. Her name was Mary. And having a son was impossible for her too. Because she said, I don't have a husband. And she told the angel Gabriel, she said, I've never been with a man before. It's impossible. How will this be? Do you know what? For Hannah, not having a child brought shame and reproach. But for Mary, it was the opposite. If she had a child out of wedlock, it would bring shame and reproach. But just like Hannah, Mary understood the principle of surrender and she said, Lord, I don't know how this will be. I don't get it. I can't wrap my mind around it. But I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be according to your will. And so she surrendered all of her identity, all of her significance to a providing God. And look at what God did. Hannah gave birth to Samuel. And he would be the prophet and the priest who would anoint the king. Mary gave birth to the one who was the prophet, the priest, and the king forevermore. Hannah let go of her son to God's greater plan and He blessed the whole nation. A Mary a let go of Jesus and as she saw Him dying there on the cross, a sword went through her heart and He blessed the whole world. Is He your Savior? Have you surrendered to this God that Hannah began to learn so much about? i finish with this today. In case you think that God isn't in the business of doing this kind of thing anymore. Listen to this story I read about. True story of Mike and Melissa Heimbach. Listen to this. It had only been a month since their honeymoon when Melissa and Mike learned she was pregnant. But their joy was turned into grief when Melissa miscarried at seven weeks. She conceived again, but she miscarried again at 14 weeks. And for two years, Mike and Melissa Hombach tried to get pregnant, but she remained barren. Melissa decided to schedule an appointment with a fertility specialist. But something changed in her heart. Melissa admitted that her dream of being a mother had become an idol to her. And so she began to turn it over to the Lord and she said, Lord, this is in your hands now. The day before she was going to go visit the fertility doctor, Melissa turned on the TV and started watching a pastor preaching as she ate breakfast. During the broadcast, the pastor prayed, Lord, there are couples out there crying for a baby, having infertility problems. God, will you heal those people right now in Jesus' name? Melissa said, I was completely stunned and I knew God was speaking to me at that moment. She called the fertility doctor and canceled her appointment and one month later she was pregnant. And today, Mike and Melissa have two healthy boys and she said, every time I look at them, they're a reminder of a loving Miracle-working God. If you don't know this same God that I'm talking about, you need to receive Him as your Savior right now. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this day. We pray for all of our mothers. We bless them in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that like Hannah, we, God, would surrender. That we would give ourselves to Jesus Christ 
wholeheartedly, completely, without reserve. I pray for that sinner who's watching, Lord, who doesn't know Jesus in a real and a personal way. I pray, God, that You would show them that You are trustworthy, that You are faithful, that You can more than meet their need. We thank You once again for this day. We pray, God, for all of Your people at Liberty Baptist Church and beyond who are watching. Give us strength and endurance, Lord, to run the race so that we might meet again soon in the house of God. We bless You and we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you again next week, Wednesday night at 6.30, where we'll be back here for some worship and time from God's Word. Thank you.